you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at the 15th chapter of Luke this morning. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, we come into your presence uh, knowing we're welcomed. Don't understand that much because you know. You know the secrets and the sin, the times we ran, the people we hurt, the stuff we've done. And you said, welcome, child. And we're here. Father, you know everybody in this place, and you know the stuff that's hard. Come yourself and heal and empower and change and forgive. And remind us again of your love. Father, in this place, may we hear the soft sound of sandaled feet. And as always, we pray for the one who teaches that you would forgive him his sins, for they are many. We would see Jesus and him only. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to do the second and the last of a two-part series. If you were here the last time I was here, and some of you weren't, then I know your names. If you were here the last time I was here, we looked at the 15th chapter of Luke, and I spent some time as the old white guy talking to the young man who had taken his inheritance and blown it at a pig farm. He'd spent it on prostitutes and parties and booze, and now he's come home. And so we spent some time with that young man. If you were here then, you know that I said to him, son, don't forget the pigs. The further they get away, the better they start looking. Listen, I've been a Christian for a long time, but I haven't been a Christian for so long that I've forgotten how much fun it was to be a pagan. And sometimes in my memory, it's more fun than it really was. And so I said, son, always try to remember where he found you. Don't forget the pigs. I remember sometimes the loneliness and the guilt. The times when I didn't have a daddy and I didn't have a home and nobody cared. And Jesus came. So don't forget the pigs. And I just, then if you were here, you know that I said to him, son, don't forget the party. And who threw it for you? I mean, you don't expect a devout Jewish, godly father to throw a party. He didn't even, he didn't even have a service of thanksgiving. He killed a fatted calf. And you got down and you partied. Remember what he's like. He's not what they told you. So, son, don't forget about the party and don't forget about the one who threw that party for you. And if you were here the last time, I said to him, and don't forget when the party's over. Tomorrow you got to go back to the fields. You'll stand in the hot sunshine. Your muscles will get tired and you will think, I don't want to do this, but don't forget the party. When you got dirt under your fingernails, when you think you can't do it anymore, when you're really, really tired, think about the party. And someday, when we get home, you're going to have the party of all parties. Now, this morning, we're going to talk to the older boy. 
And I could hardly wait to get to this until Jesus screwed it up. I had a great sermon. You know the story. Uh, Jesus said there was a man, he had two sons, and one of his sons came to his father and said, I've been waiting for you to die, and you won't die. I'm never going to get my inheritance. Why don't you give it to me now? And can you, I'd have kicked this sucker out. His father gave him the money, and he goes into a far country, and that's where he blows it all with women and wine. and pro It's just, it's not a pretty story. And he doesn't have anything left to do, and he's Jewish, and Jews don't do this, but he attached himself to a pig farm. And sometimes when he was hungry, he ate the food he was feeding the pigs. And then he had an attack of sanity. My father's servants are better off than I am. They got food to eat. They got a place to stay. And here I am feeding these dumb. I'm going home. And I'm going to say to my father, Father, I've sinned before the whole world. I brought shame on you. I've sinned before God. And I want to come home and be your servant. And you remember what happened? It is so wonderful. The father saw his son making his way down a road. He left the house and ran and hugged him. Have you ever seen Rembrandt's The Return of the Prodigal? If you ever look at that painting and that doesn't move you, you're dead. I see that and it just blows me away. And he said, Daddy, I have made such a... And the father would have none of it. He said, bring a robe, put it on my son. These clothes are filthy and they smell. And bring a ring and put it on his finger. And we're going we're gonna to kill a fatted calf. And we're going to get down because this my son was lost. And, he was, and he's found he was dead and he was alive. And then Luke, uh, this is where we're going to go this morning. Luke continues with the story, and I'm going to start at the 25th verse in that 15th chapter of Luke. And his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants, and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends, but when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost. And he's found. Did you, uh, did you hear about the three guys in a Texas airport waiting for a late plane? One was a Muslim, one was an Indian, feathers, not dots, American Indian. 
and the other was a good old Bubba from Texas. And the American Indian was sad in his demeanor. And he said, once our lands were vast, once our people were great and numerous, and now our lands are reservations and our people are small. And the Muslim said with a bit of pride, our lands are still great and they're getting greater and our numbers are vast, and they are growing. And the old Bubba took the toothpick out of his mouth, and he said, well, that's cause we ain't played cowboys and Muslims yet. <laughs> that's kind of the way I felt about this morning. I could hardly wait to get here to talk to you because we're going to play cowboys and Pharisees. And man, I hate Pharisees. The self-righteous people drive me nuts. They write me letters all the time. You ought to see the stuff that I get. And there's some things that I've been meaning to say. And finally, in the second part of this series, I was going to get a chance to say them. And that's when Jesus came. And he said, how are you going to preach on self-righteousness without being self-righteous? I said, well, I, I don't know. And he said, you're the older brother. And I started thinking about it. And I really, I'm going to Northern Ireland in October. Uh, some pastors have been reading my book, Scandalous Freedom, and they invited uh, me and Anna to, to, to come to the Belfast area. And they want me to teach grace. And I'm so so very much looking forward to it. I talked to the pastor who's organized this in that area. His name is Noel, and, and uh, he is an absolute delight, and he's laughing. This was last week. And, and he said, one of my members isn't coming. And I said, why? And he said, because he said, you are a libertine. You are an antinomian. I told him you weren't an antinomian. You just like to sin. And he said... <laughs> And Brian Chapel, the president of our seminary, who my dear friend uh, of PCA's Covenant Seminary was there, and he sent this man to go talk to Brian to ask him if I was antinomian. And, uh, and Brian said, no, he's not. He's straight as an arrow. And I am. I'm wearing a tie, okay? Randy doesn't have one but I can't preach without one. I really try to take it off. I want to show up here in a bathing suit and shock you someday. <laughs> but I can't do it, man. You put on a tie, you're ready to preach because that's, I'm straight. I'm conservative theologically and politically. I'm a five-point Calvinist. I can repeat Westminster backwards. I've never been with a prostitute. I've never murdered anybody, thought about it. Never murdered anybody in my entire life. I've never stolen from anybody. I don't lie. I speak the truth, and I'm proud of it. And Jesus said, I know. <laughs> but you're also jealous of those who do. And I thought about it and rewrote the sermon about me and about you. So we're going to talk about Phariseeism about elitism, about pride, about self-righteousness. But this is for me more than it is for you. 
Before we go there, let me show you an exegetical note about this text. Somebody has said, it's been said so often that it's a cliche, but a text without a context is a pretext. And that's true. If you'll read the first two verses of the chapter, this 15th chapter, you understand what's going on in the 15th chapter of Luke. Please note that Jesus is not talking to the whores. He is not talking to the tax collectors. He's talking to the elders and the deacons and the religious folks because they had criticized him for hanging out with sinners. And once you understand the audience, you recognize what the whole 15th chapter of Luke is about, and you understand something else. You understand that the story of the prodigal isn't the prodigal we always talk about. That's a wonderful story about the boy who gets an attack of sanity and comes home. I've heard Ben Hayden preach on that 18 times, and he cries real tears every time. And sometimes I do too, but that's not what it's about. The younger brother is just a literary figure that Jesus puts in a story so he can get to the main deal, the main thing, and that's the older brother. Because remember, he's talking to the Pharisees. And he's talking to the scribes, and he's talking to the religious people. And you say, what? That's pretty interesting. Let me tell you something else. When Jesus teaches on this sort of thing, it's not an, oh, I forgot. There's one other thing. Don't be self-righteous. That's not a good thing. Listen to me. This is the very core of Jesus' teaching. You can't understand Jesus until you understand this as the essence of what, it's everywhere. Go to the sixth chapter of Matthew. In the sixth chapter of Matthew, Jesus said, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the most religious people you know, you're not going to make it. And then he says right after that, when, when you fast, don't put ashes on your face and look tired and drawn and religious. You look like you just came from a big meal at Cracker Barrel. And he said, when you pray, don't pray to God in public so people will think how spiritual you are. Go in your closet and shut it and get on your knees and pray in secret. It's everywhere. If you get to the 20th chapter of Matthew, you remember the mother of James and John? And I love that story because Jesus was so kind to the mother. She did a really dumb thing. <laughs> and Jesus didn't. Jesus knows mothers, and he just shushed her off while he dealt with the disciples. And the disciples heard the mother come, and they saw James and John. She asked Jesus, when, when, you've, when you've got it all, the power, you, would you put one of my boys on one side and one on the other? And the other disciples went, tut, tut. Can't believe that she would say something. Can you imagine the arrogance of that? And then Jesus looked at the disciples and he said to them what he said to me, you can't be against self-righteousness without being self-righteous. And he called them all to him, James and John too. And he said, that's the way the world does it. That's what the world does. They're, you know, they're into fame and how fast it goes and how big it is. You don't, that's not you. You were nothing. And you still are, but now you're mine, and you're valuable, and the first will be last, and the last will be first, 
and the servant will be the man. And then you get to, you get to Matthew 23. You, you think I'm a pain. You ought to read what Jesus said. <laughs> I mean, he said stuff. You want to say, I don't believe I'd have said that. Woe is you. And he's talking to religious people. Whitewashed. I'd never say something like that. I mean, I go into the lion's den and I don't pluck his whiskers out. Jesus goes into the lion's den and says, whoa. And then he says things throughout that chapter that just make you wince and you go, whoa, I don't believe he's. And what's he talking about? Talking about just this thing that we're. And you go to Luke 7. That's when the prostitute shows, crashes the dinner party of the Pharisee. Is that stupid or what? <laughs> I mean, I don't do that. And she gets to be the model that Jesus lifts up. What's with that? And, and then, then you, you get over to the 19th chapter of Luke, and that's where the, and this goes on and on. I'm just picking at random. 19th chapter of Luke, remember Jesus said, when you go to a dinner party, listen, I'm on the national board of the National Religious Broadcasters, and you ought to come to our convention. At the head table, it takes five head tables to take care of the ego, and I'm sitting there in the middle of it. Jesus said, don't do that. When you go to a dinner, sit in the back, because if you exalt yourself, you're going to be humble, and if you humble yourself, you're going to be exalted. Jesus said again in Matthew, don't judge. Be careful about that kind of stuff because you the same way. And then, and then you get to, Matthew, uh, to Luke uh, 19, and that's the, that's the tax collector and the sinner who goes to church to pray with, a, with the elder. And the elder says, uh, I'm glad I'm this way. I'm bad. Okay, Jesus, but I'm not as bad as he is. <laughs> I mean, I tithe. I teach the Bible. I write religious books. I'm better. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I, know, I know I'm a sinner saved by grace. I got that part. But, I'm, but listen, I'm not as bad as that. Remember what Jesus said? Then the sinner wouldn't even look up. He cried out, oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that one went away justified. The other one. Did, and it goes on. It's everywhere. It's on every page of the Gospels as you read. How come? What is Je what's Jesus making such a big deal out of this? Because it is a big deal. It's the most dangerous place in your life. Uh, as you know, I get criticized a lot. I think the statement I make that really drives people nuts is, think about your sin, whatever it is. It's a gift from God, the best gift he ever gave you, if you know it. And your areas of obedience are the most dangerous place in your life, if you know it. Duh. That's what, that's, I don't know why everybody doesn't see that. I don't know why people get angry. That's this, that's it. That's the main thing. That's what Jesus is talking about. Why is that? Because he knew it would destroy us. Some of us are trying our best to be better and better in every way, every day, and we're not making it, but we keep trying, and you're never going to get there. Until you know if you don't get there, he'll love you anyway. He knows that when your prayer life stinks, it's right here. This is the reason. 
It's because you think you're something else and you can do it yourself. And that you, you, the reason we don't get better is because we're so obsessive about being better. You're covered. That's what God went through so much trouble to do on the cross, okay? That's not even the issue. But you can tell how big a problem is by how big the solution has to be. And this was God's own son on a cross. That means we ain't that hot. But isn't it cool to admit that? And when you do that, there's great power. There's power in your witness. There's power in your walk. And you're free because you don't have to be right anymore. You don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to wear a mask anymore. You say, Jesus loves me. Deal with it. Is that cool or what? And then you find surprising faithfulness that you're getting. Now, let me show you. Let me show you something else. Self-righteousness, by its very nature, is the one sin that can't be seen by the one who's self-righteous. Say it again. Self-righteousness, by its very nature, is the one sin that can't be seen by the self-righteous because that's the sin. If you're bald, you'll understand what I'm going to say. If you're not, you won't. May you lose all your hair. When, do you, you guys know way. When you first start losing your hair, you try to cover it. You know, I had a hair that was 30 feet long. <laughs> and I think people noticed. And you know, you know what my atheist first cousin said? What the is that that you're doing? You're bald as a bean, and you're as dishonest as anything that I ever said, and you're a preacher. It, let me tell you, 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 if you're not bald or you're a woman, you won't understand this. But the day I combed it straight back, I was so, for, it was better than drugs. I've never been on drugs, but I can't imagine drugs being better than that. I was free. I, I was out. And that's, what, that's why Jesus is spending so much time on this, because it's so central. All right. Did you see the new Indiana Jones uh, movie? Was that cool or what? I love those movies. You know, the best scene in that movie was when he went into the library on a motorcycle, chased by the bad guys. I'm going to do that at Reform Seminary where I teach. <laughs> I've thought about it. I, our big library is on the bottom floor, and, and I get a motorcycle, and we have a librarian that's perfect. And this would mess up his day bad. And I just think I go up and down the aisles going rum, rum on a motor. Would that be? Well, Indiana Jones did that. He's being chased by the bad guys. And then a student, students or something else. They think they're smart, but they're in school, okay? <laughs> I mean, you go to hospital, people bragging about their good health. So this student, and it's so typical, He's on a motorcycle, he's fleeing for his life, and the student's got a question. <laughs> and, you know, you can see it on his face like, what? And then he says, and this is the best line in the movie, he says, son, if you're going to be an archaeologist, you've got to get out of the library. That's what, that's what the young son did. He got out of the library. He messed it up, but he got out of the library. 
The older son stayed in the library until he was pale. He studied long hours and he made perfect grades and he expected to be rewarded for it. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about me. Let me show you what I found in this text the second time I went to it. First sermon was better, frankly. Jesus is teaching in this text that a mark, and, and remember, you don't know if you're self-righteous because that's the nature of it. So look to your right. It's her. <laughs> look to your left. It's him. Then look at your belly button. It's you. <laughs> and Je Jesus said that self-righteousness, and I've, boy, is marked by lack of passion. I really am straight. I'm very inhibited, by the way. It's the reason I can't dance. It looks like I'm marching. I mean, I want to, and I want so much to be, but, I, but you know, I'm pretty straight. I, I, I really am theologically and, and uh, politically. But I went to a funeral on Thursday. I didn't even know the guy. His name was Norm. He was an elder in our church. I mean, I knew him. I could speak to him. He was one of my elders, so, you know, I had to submit to him and stuff. But I didn't know him. I didn't know the name of his kids. But this was a hard one for my pastor, Pete Alwinson, and I wanted to support my pastor, so I came. The place was jammed. It went, it went out into the narthex. And uh, he'd been a fire chief in Alaska and Orlando, and the fire departments came out in mass, and they, they did everything for the funeral. It was a flag, and they thought it was military. It was, it's... I mean, it's something else. And the music was wonderful. And my pastor shined. It's the best presentation of the gospel I've ever heard, even from Billy Graham. I mean, it's just so, it was so good. But one of the really cool things, he had two sons, and his sons got up, and they were going to say some things about their daddy. Now, he was in his 50s when he died. And they couldn't get through it. They just fell apart. And then one son put his arm around his brother and Somehow he got to say what he meant to say, and the other one held the other one. They got through it. Then they went and sat down. And then our associate got up, and he had all the men that met with Norm every week in the leadership of the men's ministry of their church. And then he said, boys, these men love you, and now they're your father. They're going to look out for you, so don't you worry a bit. And then he said to the congregation, I want all the men of our congregation to stand up. And we all stood. And he said, boys, turn around and look. These men love you. They're going to be there for you. And I start, I start crying. And I think, well, I'll act like I've got something in my eye. <laughs> and then the tears go over my finger and start coming down my face. And I thought, what's wrong with me? I'm losing my mind. I don't even know the guy. What is, I'll tell you what was happening. Jesus showed me that my heart is being softened and my passion is becoming real. And, and a part of that's laughter. If you don't laugh at the church, you're not going to make it. We're a bunch of clowns. <laughs> I mean, we really are. I don't, I, you know, it's funny, and you got to see it from where I see it. And, it. and you can get through this. If you, did I tell you about uh, almost being baptized in a church of Christ? This is true. If I told you that... Uh, I, have, I, have a, I have a, had a student at the seminary who was from a Church of Christ family. His father was a pastor. I don't know what he was doing at Reformed Seminary, but 
instead. And I have large classes, so I was going around and I was asking students to tell me who, who they were and where they were from, what they were going to do. Got to him. He said he was Church of Christ. Now, in case you're not familiar with the Church of Christ, they don't think you're saved. Now, that's changing. But they don't think you're saved because you weren't baptized right. So when I got to him, he said he was from the Church of Christ. And I said, that's unusual. And then I said to him, son, do you think I'm saved? And he said the most arrogant, snitty. He said, I'm not the one to decide that. The Bible decides that. And I thought, that sucker's going to fail. <laughs> but as he stayed in the seminary, he took my classes, all of my classes, and all of the others, he began to get it, and he grows. And now I'm his favorite professor. And sometimes he, he asks me to preach at his church, and he has a mega church, one of those big churches. And... and uh, and, I, and, and they had two morning services like you do at Perimeter. And I, and I said to him, where's the men's room? Uh, I'll be back in time for the service. He said, I'll take you. So he took me up to the second floor. We found a men's room. I went in and then he left. I came out of the men's room and I didn't know how to get back down to the, to the sanctuary. It's a big church. So I started opening doors. I remembered a stairwell I'd gone up and I opened a door and I, could, and I thought, this is it. I could see the congregation. And I thought, thank heavens. So, but it was a dark uh, stairwell, and I had to walk really slow. But I, but I was okay. I could see the congregation walking down, and I got down pretty low. And I thought, you know, my feet are warm. <laughs> and, then, and then I took another step, and I thought, my knees are warm. And then I realized I'm standing in our baptismal pool. I mean, they got it down on the floor and it's plexiglass and you can see through it. And that's why I could see it. And by then the congregation, they've lost it. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's the funniest thing they've seen in that state church in a long time. And, and, and Dan is going crazy and he runs and he gets some towels and he, and he gives them to me and I get sort of dried off. But you should have been there for the sermon. It was like the word of God, squish. <laughs> the word, and I said, Dan, if I, does that count? He said, no. I said, it was up to my knees. He said, no. I said, well, if I got it up to here, would it count? And he said, no. And I said, what if I was baptized right up to here? And he said, no. And I said, well, that's what I've been teaching. It's the top of the head that counts. You know, I've like, there's a day goes by that I don't look at the people who go, we're a bunch of clowns, and just get tickled. You ever get the giggles at a funeral? You know, that's passion. And we've become so bland and so boring and so religious, and that's why our prayer life is so dead, our witness doesn't work, and we're not getting any better. And I've learned to love with passion. I hug guys. People will tell me their story and I'll start crying. I sign, I, 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 don't know where, I know where he comes from. It comes from the passion that he gives. But secondly, please note in this text, it's not only the lack of passion that measures self-righteousness, it is also 
uh, the denial of weakness. Look at the 29th verse. But he answers, Father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friend. I got an email from a pastor. We have, we have over 4,000 pastors on our mailing list, and I answer all correspondence that comes from pastors. And I got this, it's just a note. He said, Steve, I want to thank you for your teaching. I've been a pastor for 36 years, and all 36 years, I've been a failure. I wrote him back and said, me too. <laughs> and now we have a platform, because it's only out of weakness that there is power. God's power is made perfect in weakness. We don't believe that. We really don't. That's why we get athletes to give testimony and race car drivers to give. I mean, what if, what if the people God really used were the ones who were really, really screwed up? And so, and so God's been showing me myself. Just, I hate it. I'm not going to tell you, but I hate it. And out of that reality is coming power that I haven't known before. Jesus said that you can measure self-righteousness uh, by, uh, by a denial of weaknesses, a lack of passion. But there's another thing. You can tell self-righteousness by how much you demonize your enemies. Note what the older brother said about his brother, his kid brother. This son of yours has blown it all with prostitutes. What, what's with that? We do that all the time, don't we? We do that all the time. I love the way Randy prayed for St. Paul's this morning. You guys always do that. I didn't do much of that. Uh, I didn't have any problem with pastoral jealousy until Dan Yeri moved to Miami. And then, and he was a Southern Baptist, and I don't like Southern Baptist anyway. And, he, and God anointed him, and that was irritating. But he was a dispensationalist, and that meant his theology was messed up. He didn't care about sin, and that was quite obvious. He didn't speak truth to power. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't do it right, but God kept honoring and kept growing. You know, every time he had a success, I was depressed. That's true. And every time he failed, I had a good day. I, I didn't know it at the time, but it began to grow, and eventually the Holy Spirit really came and convicted, and I was dying. And my friend Larry Poland was in Miami from California. We had lunch, and I decided I'm going to confess it to him. And I said, Larry, i just, I got to tell a brother. I, Dan Yeri's driving me nuts. I've been praying for his death for two years. And he said, that's good that you confess that to me. Now go tell Dan. I said, it'll be cold in a hot place before I do that. And he said, no, you will, because I'm going to call you every day until you do. Took two weeks. I called Dan. And I said, can we have lunch? And he said, yeah, that'd be cool. So we set a time. And I remember the restaurant, the waitress came over. And I said, young lady, leave us alone. We're not ready to eat yet. I'll call you back if we decide to eat. 
And then Dan doesn't know what's going on. And I said, Dan, I got a confession to make to you. I'm so jealous of you, I could die. You, you have no idea the way this eats in me, and it's just awful. I'm so sorry. Can you forgive me? He said, you're kidding. He said, I forgive you. But let me, I said, I don't want to hear another word. That's it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. And I said, young lady, come on, we're going to eat. <laughs> what was going on? It's our proclivity to look at others, to demonize them. We do that with gays. No. I'm not for gay marriage. I know what the Bible says, but we do it with them. If you don't have a gay friend, a lesbian friend, then you don't know. We do that with Pentecostals and Roman Catholics and dispensationalists. We do it racially and ethnically. We do it with anybody who disagrees with us, and we Presbyterians do it with anybody that's not a Calvinist. We can stop that because it's self-right. It's the very thing Jesus talks about. And, uh, well, then I got one other thing. My stomach just growled. So I'm, that's, that's why you're fortunate. People who go on Saturday night are dumb because you, that could go on forever. But on Sunday, second service, you're wise. That's the reason this is the biggest church. They know the preacher gets hungry. He's not going on forever. So, but there's one other thing you got to see in this text. Not only can you measure self-righteousness with a lack of passion, with a denial of weakness, and with a demonization of enemies, you can measure self-righteousness uh, by the spurning, a repudiation of love. Please, please know what the father said to him, son, I just said, you arrogant twit, get out of my face. He said, son, everything, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. And that's when the young man turned and turned and walked away. You ever wonder if you've committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? We get thousands of letters and thousands of questions at Key Life, And the most asked question is that one. The people of God are so neurotic, piles of them believe they've committed the unforgivable sin and there is no hope for them. Let me tell you what the blasphemy of the... What does the Holy Spirit do? Holy Spirit hugs you. That's what he does. He sends you to the throne of grace. What's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? It's, it's not letting him hug you. It's walking away when he wants to reach out to you and say, everything that I have is yours. And you walk further away until pretty soon you can't hear his voice. That's, that's the blast. I interviewed it, uh, Tony Jones uh, this couple of weeks ago. He, he wrote the defining book on the emergent church, and he's one of them. Uh, you need to know I have some problems with the emergent church. I think they're asking the right questions. I'm just not too sure about their answers. And I told him so, and we debated, and I ate his lunch. But as a part of that broadcast, I got four very prominent scholars and theologians, and you would know their name, and I wish I could tell you. Man, I wish I could tell you their names. But they're pretty uptight, and they're not happy with emergent church. And so I got statements that they had made criticizing the emergent church, and I played it for Tony and, and wanted him to respond to those statements. 
And you know how he responded to them? He said, he mentioned the name. He said, you know what? He needs a hug. And I thought, Tony, the only reason you're doing that is because you don't have an answer. But what he said was more profound than he even knew. Are you a legalist? I had a guy come up and said, Steve, pray for me. After the first service, pray for me. I'm so angry about some of the new people that are coming into this church. <laughs> and Jesus, the angels sang. They thought, that man has got it. And I prayed for him. Are you a legalist? Let him love you. That's all. Are you really messing it up in your life now? I know. Let him love you. Are you afraid and your prayer life doesn't help at all? The demons come in the middle of the night. Let him love you. That's all he wants to do. He's not angry at you. Let him love you. I was still outside when the young man had the conversation with his father. <laughs> I winced. I thought, I don't believe I'd have said that. And then when he yelled, I thought, I ought to be some other place. I shouldn't be hearing this. But I stayed. And then the young man turned and walked away, and then he started running. And I decided I'm going to keep up with him because he needs an old guy. And so I ran along. with. Now, you need to know old guys get heart attacks trying to keep up with young guys. So I'm doing my best to stay with him until finally he runs out of steam and you can't hear the noise of the party from the house. And he's out in the middle of the field, and he's breathing hard. And I said, son, you angry, aren't you? And he said... You have no idea how angry I am. I can't believe my, that my father would bring him back in. He ought to be in a servant's quarters. And I said, and you're right. And he said, and he said I'm, I, I just, I said, it's not fair. I know it's not fair. And I said, would you listen, would you listen to an old white guy, a Pharisee, who has some things to say? And he said, suit yourself but I can't believe he's never had a party for me and my friends. And I said, son, you know why? Because you don't have any friends. I expected anger. I didn't expect what happened. The tears welled up in his eyes. And then he started crying. And then he started sobbing. And I thought, I've... I've had a mother load of pain here. And you said, Steve, well, what'd you do? I taught him what I taught you this morning. And maybe he and you will go back to the party. You think about that. I'm in. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to help Key Life share the message of God's grace, Please pray for us and please consider giving. Just click the main menu button in the upper left corner, then click donate or visit us at keylife.org give.